1: post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today welcome to the suitcase and the scribe with award-winning journalist scott burnside and former nhl goaltender mike mckenna a member of the nation network of podcasts and delivered by doordash
2: everybody scott burnside back for another edition of the suitcase and the scribe mike mckenna in his closet as per usual i always love the lighting in that closet man that's it's a great thing but here's here's the exciting thing a week from today my friend i don't know where we're going to be but we're going to be in the same city in las vegas getting ready for all star and uh I am so I'm pumped. I'm pumped to, I'm pumped to get out. It's going to be, it's going to be fun, but uh, I can't wait. You're just going to be striding on in. I could see you wearing,
1: you know, shorts and a floral shirt, even if it's January, February, just to celebrate that I'm out, I'm free. Let's go. (laughs) But you know, I get the feeling Scott, that it's going to be one of the first reunions of a lot of people within media, within hockey circles. Yeah. Maybe the closest thing we felt to, what we had before Uh, even though i'm sure the players are kind of i'm sure they're lukewarm to it you know like hey we're we're going but we're not going to really get to do a whole lot or as much as we expected and you know kind of face these restrictions with omicron that have changed things but i don't know man i think once you get there and especially as a player they'll they'll still buy in and enjoy it. And the, the on ice festivities are always the fun part. Everybody just wants to see who can skate the fastest or shoot the hardest. <laughs> That's all we want to see. So um, I think it's definitely just as much fun for, for us now in media. And of course, Scott, there's always that side effects. This is where some real serious discussions tend to take place amongst hockey people. Once they're at these big convival meetings, man, like this is where a lot of trades and, and movement are born from, or these yes. in-person festivities, you know, I think I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we're going to have to, Scott, we're going to have to, we're going to have to data mine some of our friends out there in Vegas. And I think we can probably find a good spot to have a bite to eat. Maybe. What do you think?
2: I might, might, we've already got a couple of places, uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm, 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 uh, I've done some research, my friend. I've done some research and my, my places might be a little bit different than the places you're doing research. ah uh, We've got uh,
1: crossover. We'll be fine.
2: <laughs> uh, all right. Between now and uh, next week. And I, I, and I agree with you. I think there's a lot of, uh, it'd be interesting to see the discussion there, but mm-hmm. as always lots going on, I don't know where to start with. I, I, I know that, uh, um, We've uh, had reports. Uh, sure Frank had the report, but uh, Patrick Alvin now moving Mm -hmm. from Pittsburgh as an assistant GM to take over the GM job in Vancouver. Uh, That's been a busy time for Jim Rutherford, right? I mean, we, uh, earlier in the week, uh, Emily Castingay, such a terrific story. uh, The first female assistant GM in Vancouver Canucks history and really one of the very first women at such a high profile you know mm-hmm. if you look at team hierarchy this is this is um you know yet another example of barriers be, being broken down I, and I, i'm going to monopolize this early part i know emily a little bit went to montreal did a story on her uh, must be three years ago and then connected with her because she was alexis lafrenier's Um, agent and uh, spent some time with Emily and Alexi before his first training camp with the New York Rangers. And she is, she's terrific, really smart, really uh, on top of her game. And I love how she talks about how she understands that people, she walked into the first NHL uh, players agents meeting and she knew that everyone in there, they were all men of course mostly white men, uh, figured she was someone's assistant or secretary mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't care, I'm doing I'm here to do my job and uh, just love how she's approached it and I think she's going to be a great fit and again Patrick Alvin um, from Sweden, another sort of you know, just outside the box a little bit, Jimmy Rutherford knew him very well of course from their shared time in Pittsburgh but um, and Rachel Dory, a former colleague of ours here at Daily Faceoff, uh, earlier hired on in their front office. That's a long. I'm talking a lot, but that to me, that's I just love those kinds of moves for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, and kudos to to Jim Rutherford for for building a staff that I think is going to knock it out of the park. Well, I think what
1: Rutherford's done a good job of in Vancouver is just trying to find solutions to the management of the Vancouver Canucks that doesn't fall in line with what's the norm. And, and this isn't on purpose thinking like, Hey, we're going to break ground and be progressive or anything. Like, I think he's just done a good job of looking for different voices. Okay. And and what I mean by that is like throw gender aside for a second, because Emily Castongay is overqualified for this job. She's been an assistant general manager, a player. She's she has experience. She's a, she has a law degree. I mean, I see a lot of Julian briesbois in what she's accomplished so far in some ways. Right. But you know, toss that out a window for a second. You've got a person coming in as an AGM who's Quebecois, bilingual from that area, played hockey uh, at the college level. You've got somebody coming in who's Swedish, but has been in North America for a long time. And you also have the dynamic of the Sedin twins lurking (laughs) in Vancouver, right. Who are also Swedish as well. And I I think that you just have a very worldly outlook in this front office now. And especially when you look at Jim Rutherford's record, I mean, he's done everything, been everywhere. So uh, smart hires by him, I think, because the easy route for someone who's been in the game as long as Rutherford is to just hire the old guard, just go back to what you know. And, and from the surface level, the hiring of Alvin looks like that. Yeah. Because he came from Pittsburgh as the AGM. But when you dig deeper and really look into his path and how he's ended up there, I think there's a lot of value in this. Because I, I really do believe that different, you know, opinions, different eyes, different mindsets, different cultural backgrounds, they all help when you're trying to craft a team because this is such a worldly game now, Scott. Yeah. So awesome. I I'm I'm really impressed, you know, and, and we don't know how, hey, we don't know how it'll work out. We never do, but you've got <laughs> They hired a really, really bright person in the analytics department with Rachel Dory. And they haven't had any boundaries up in who they're going to hire. They went after Casting Gay because they saw something in her. Yeah. And they didn't see that she was a woman. They saw somebody qualified for this position who could help the team.
2: Yeah. No, and our understanding is that that Jim talked to a number of other women who had similar similar qualifications or, or certainly came from, you know, positions of, of real. Knowledge and mm-hmm. uh, and intellect about the game, I, I think that's great. I, it goes back. I, I think you're totally on board. And I think about our conversation when the Red Wings announced that they'd hired Nicholas Lidstrom, mm-hmm. to be in their per, uh, player development or player personnel department, and the fact that he was going to stay in Sweden for the most part. But again, it's just like think out. It doesn't have to be the way it always was. And. No if Nick's going to be in Sweden, great. If you, you have these different perspectives. And I know I wrote a piece when Jim took the job um, as the head of hockey ops, the president in Vancouver, I talked to Bill Guerin who'd been on our show and Tom Fitzgerald, both of whom worked for um, Jim in Pittsburgh when they, were first starting in their managerial careers, of course Tom's GM New Jersey and Bill GM in one of the best teams in the Western Conference in Minnesota. And it's a lot of mentoring. I mean,
1: that's three lot former yeah. three former, you know, employees of yours that are now become GMs in the yeah. league for Jim Rutherford. It's impressive. Yeah.
2: And I guess what struck me was just how they described how Jim was, here's your job, you go and do that job and then Like he wasn't, he didn't micromanage, not looking over the shoulder. And I think that's the, you know, I mean, that's going to be the fascinating part in Vancouver. How, you know, how do you get all these pieces to work together? A lot of different perspectives. My sense is Jim will do the exact same thing here, Emily, this is your job, Rachel, this is your, job. Patrick, this is your job. And at the end of the day, they'll come together and Jim will make whatever final decisions, but, uh, my He puts a lot of trust in his people, and I think it's going to be – I think it's great for Vancouver, and it's a lot of work to do there. I'll tell you, a lot of work to well, do, but it's going to be fun. Yeah,
1: and that's – I mean, that's true around the league. There's teams that are that are struggling, but at least Vancouver's in a better spot. You know, they've at least won some games. They're not sitting dead last. Uh, they haven't lost 13 games in a row like the Flyers have, I, and that hurts. I mean, geez, like – uh, Montreal, they were the team in the barrel. Okay. Well, at least they've kind of turned the page. They have a general manager. Now they have a new, <laughs> new president of hockey. Um, I am curious with Montreal next year. I think Ken Hughes has a lot going on as well. And it all relates to Carey price. Frankly, I think he is the guy that dictates whether that's a full rebuild or whether that's something of a reload or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But Philadelphia, Scott, Oh man, like what do you do with this group? I mean, from the start of the year, this is a team that on paper was like, okay, they should be good. And, you know, you can say it's underperforming players. The goalies have been fine. But like the Drew and Atkinson have done what they should do. They've had, they've been right on par. But you look down the roster, though, and it's not happening. And I think the biggest hole for me when I watch Philly is they're, they just don't have any D that are moving the puck right now. Like Provorov's got 13 points, he's their leading D scorer. And that's a guy who should have more than that anyway. And beyond him, there's not much, you know. Keith Yandel, love him. The guy just set the Ironman record. One of the best PP players in the league. That's where half his points are come from. But those forwards in Philly can't even get the puck. And we were talking two, three years ago about how good the decor was from Philadelphia that Ron Hextall had drafted and developed. Well, you know, they bring in L- Ristolainen. Lane. In. That trade looks like a disaster right now, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and Ryan Ellis has been hurt all year. So I'm just Scott. I can't get a read on Philly. I don't think anybody's safe there at all. I, I think I know Mike Yo is set for the rest of the year. John Torchetti comes in as another set of eyes. But I didn't know how that three-headed monster, the coaching staff, was going to work with Yo, Tarion and uh, Vigneault. and Vigneault to start three years ago. It worked for a season, and after that, it's just
2: been a mess. So yeah, I don't have any sense, Scott. Where do you think it's going in Philly? <laughs> Was, I can tell you, that I mean, good for Keith Yandel and the Ironman streak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Keith and uh, oh you know, God. And one of the best some, guys. Yeah, it's an incredible accomplishment. But, yeah, I, it's you know, what's disappointing is that this is an organization that you know I think is rightly or wrongly has really, you know, it's it's always had an identity or for the most part has mm-hmm. had this identity flyers and all, you know, and maybe too much of the past, you know, back to the mid 70s you know, when they won their two back-to-back cups, But there's still a lot of influence from those. Oh, my gosh. And that's a long time ago now. Yeah. And I don't know how you, I don't know what you do. And certainly that was definitely a part of what happened with Ron Hexel. And you would have imagined, I remember when Ron took that job, talking to him about coming home in many ways where he played. And, you know, even though he, you know, he was such an important part of that Kings team. And I just thought it would translate beautifully. And it didn't. And I, you know, Bobby Clark. I don't like this. You know, recently he took some shots at Ron in a podcast. I'm like, really, you're going to do that? I mean, Ron Hextall is the GM of one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference in Pittsburgh, team that is on fire. And you know, I know maybe Ron hasn't done, you know, it's, he didn't build that team, but still, that, it is what it is. And so I don't know how you fix it, but it, it is a team that has completely fallen down. Mm-hmm. They have no identity. Uh, You know, with all due respect, there they have very little leadership as far as it relates to on-ice product. Um, What you know, what is the future? You know, you know, is Mike Yo the answer? I I love Mike, uh, but it seems to me that you would need to go in a different direction coaching wise. But do you need to go in a different direction in terms of management? Chuck Fletcher's only been there what three or four or four four years or whatever it is three and a half seasons at this point. Yeah, is that long enough? And I know it, it, I, I've always had this discussion with, with Pierre Lebrun, my pal. We would discuss these kinds of issues. What like in Buffalo where they change GMs every two or three years? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, how is that fair to Tim Murray or Jason Blatt or Like, what is the appropriate amount of time to look at it on a management team and what they have done? And it's been it's a disaster. There, are, they the wor- are they worse in Montreal? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a disaster and it's a shame. Yeah. Well, the- how, do you, how much time is the appropriate time? And if you change again, let's say, you know, I'm a huge Danny Breer fan. I know he was in the mix um, in Montreal and he's a huge fan. And at some point he's going to be an NHL GM. But if you make that move and then he does whatever he's going to do, and I would love to see Rick Tockett as the head coach there. What do I know? But what that to me looks like a fit, but you can't, I mean, when do you, when does it stop? I guess that's my question. How long is enough and how long is too long? Is it too long already for Chuck Fletcher? I don't know.
1: I don't, I'm not sure because like last season he took some swings. Like he yeah. did what he thought he needed to do to make that lineup better. He didn't stay patient. He wasn't complacent. And you made moves when you're getting Ristolane in and, and Ellis and bring in and Hayes. I mean, yeah, they miss Hayes. That contract for Hayes is still huge and it eats up the cap. It's bigger than it should be. Um, and it can work if you have the right players surrounding, but I think there's also even the development factor, like some of the players that are prospects, they just haven't hit the ceiling that I think was expected. And that happens. Okay. Like you can't predict the future with your prospects. You really can't, um, but you know, they, shipped out Nolan Patrick he's gone right that was a top end prospect that number 2 overall yeah i scored a sick goal last night uh, i mean between the legs backhand and uh when uh, vegas was playing carolina uh on on tuesday night and yeah. i just i th- i think chucks on it's, uh, he's a super nice individual that I have a lot of respect for, but yeah, I I think he's, he might get one more kick at this is what I think. I, I I don't know where it goes. I can't predict the future with it, but this summer has got things have to be right. And you got to pick the right coach and you can't go back to the well on this. Like you need to pick, you need to pick somebody dynamic, progressive, that's got some juice behind them. And I I just think about, I know I hear Danny Briere mentioned all the time, but he doesn't have any experience. Like he's, he's running the, team in portland maine from afar as a manager like not as a general manager of that team like as like the team itself front office like and i know he's been around people but i think that if you're really going to step into a gm role somewhere you have to have AGM experience you have to have player development experience like you have to know the whole nuances of that and because i danny is awesome i love that guy i just yeah, I think if you put him in as a GM right now, you're setting him up to fail. That's what I feel like with that. I'd like well, to see more experience for it.
2: Yeah. Well, and maybe it becomes one of those, you know, what we've seen in Vancouver and we talk about Jim Rutherford coming in as the president of mm-hmm. hockey ops. And I, I, you know, to me, I, 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 again, what do I know about hockey team structure? I love, you know, a lot, Scott, you've done uh, this a long
1: time. Don't, I don't sell no yourself short.
2: Called me. What do, you, do you think I should hire a president of hockey? Huh? Uh, <laughs> you know, I love what, ha- you know, in Pittsburgh, you have Brian Burke and, and Ron Hextall mm-hmm. there. And then, you know, it flows down from there. Um, I love what they're doing in Vancouver with Jim Rutherford and, and now Patrick Alvin. And, and there is that, that allows growth, you know, from within those important departments. And maybe you're right. And maybe it's, you know, with whether Danny's the right guy or not, I don't know. But it, maybe mm-hmm. it's a president of hockey ops in Philly. And maybe it's, you know, how about this? You know, Ray Shiro, whose father was Fred, one of the greatest coaches of all time, the coach of the only two Stanley Cup. in Philadelphia. Ray Shiro is president of hockey ops and Danny Briere is here or something like that. I love those I love that kind of structure where you have a sort of a mentorship but it's but there's also defined roles. I I don't know. Yeah. I I'm with you. I you can you can't and you can't make a mistake now, right? When you're as bad yeah. as things were in Vancouver and as bad as they were in Montreal, very quickly bad and as bad as they are in Philly, you you you've got to make the right decision. And here's my last word on this. Is my concern in Philly is that you know under under Ed Snyder, there was a, there was a vision there. There was mm-hmm. one of the greatest hockey people ever. I think about what he's done in that community oh, and for one of the best unders- benefactors ever as well. Yeah, a, just a caretaker a man, of Philadelphia. All he wanted was to win. Now you've got this corporate monolith there. I don't know what's the, what's the direction from on high there. And mm-hmm. I, you know, we we've, we've seen it in the past in Toronto, right? Same thing. You've got this. There are very few of them, but that sort of corporate monster at the head what's the who who decides what the vision is and to me this is one of the critical problems for Philadelphia I don't know what you want I don't know if there's anyone there who actually knows what they want in terms of that team
1: Uh, I think the old guard does and they're still around you know like it's just you can't avoid that like no matter what there's this air of the old guard that still has influence And, and I don't know how like they're absolutely valued people that should be listened to, but I don't know how you rule with an iron fist. Cause I mean, Hexal came in and tried to run it his way Yeah. and he got, he got canned for it, yeah. you know, and I, straight up dude. Like, I think he tied his wagon to Hackstall too long. Yeah. That was probably the biggest strike against him. But after a while, it was just, And this is a guy who was beloved within the alumni. So, you know, like this is an old flyer, right? Like this is a guy that should be successful. So I don't know, man, like I just feel bad because Philly is such an, as, as hard as people say it is there, it's such an awesome place to play when like the fans are invested, they love it there. And when that team's going, oh gosh, man, like, I, I don't know, like I played one game for him, but I was at least dressing for a month and a half or so. And, you know, finished my career in that organization and they just, they treated they treat the players there really, really well. Like this is a good place to play. It's a great city. I, I never thought I'd have an affinity for Philadelphia, and I do now. I really like that city.
2: Yeah.
1: I just want to see it fixed, man. I it's a the NHL is better when Philly contends. And, I, yeah. and I'll say this about mm-hmm. Chuck Fle- I'll say this about Chuck Fletcher, man. He has tried, he has done things, he's made yeah. moves. You cannot fault him for sitting on his hands. And yeah. you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't work. So yeah. I suppose that's probably it for Philadelphia, but we do have better things around the league. I mean, like, like it's funny. Cause we always say these negative things to talk about. It seems like, <laughs> like Tuka Rask, man, like let's go the goalie direction here. Like yeah. what's up with Tuka? How much leash does Tuka have? You know, like I'm, I know I'm the goalie guy, Scott, but I don't think he has much time to get his season going here. Like you get that feeling. Cause I can deep dive analyze, analyze this, but Linus Olmark's coming on strong, man. That guy's won 9 of his last 10 games and Tuka hasn't looked great coming back, I don't think.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Like I'm, I don't know I don't know that I'm all that surprised, right? He's been a lot, like he was out a long time, had long time. major surgery. So, and here's here's what I would say about this. The good thing for the Boston Bruins is that they have almost no pressure on them. We've talked about mm-hmm. this, and I was looking at the No one is catching any of those teams in the top eight? It's not, not happening. I'm sorry. I know I understand. <laughs> I know you've done the math. You're working out your grids and your charts, mate. Okay, like totally, it's not it's happening. Not, <laughs> it's not happening. not man, it's it was done happening. by
1: Thanksgiving. It was done by Thanksgiving, American yeah, exactly. Thanksgiving.
2: So if 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 you're the Bruins and you are trying to figure out, to your point, okay, what you know, when are we going to see real Tuca? you know, what's the, I think this is the perfect dynamic because it it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, unless you get to a and that, when is that point? I'll ask this question to you. When is that point? Maybe, you know, is it by March, by the trade deadline, whenever it is to me, you have all kinds of runway to let him get back to, you know, his, his groove at his own pace. And as long as you don't lose 10 in a row, and that's not going to happen to that team, it's going to be okay. And all mark and if Olmark plays, you know, if he plays like he can, then, then, okay. So he's your guy mm-hmm. then. I I don't know that there's a downside to it. What do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I think the, I actually think tuka has got about a dozen games to get this thing going and that okay. leads him clear through almost trade deadline. And yep. um, you know, the, the first game he came back against Philly, I was like, yeah, it looks good. No problem. And then man, the last three haven't been good at all. So <laughs> he's just, mm-hmm. you know, he's not tracking the puck. Well, he, he's, not fighting through traffic. Like the things that I see of a goaltender getting back into his groove and that's expected. Like that's not just him being lazy. It's just what happens when you haven't played in a long time, you got to get back used to it. And um, I think it's just a security blanket for him. Having all being that good so far and Swayman. Okay. Like this is a team that has three goalies and all these trade talks about moving goalies. And I, I don't see any value in having less than three good goaltenders in your system. If you're a playoff team, I don't. And I, I think it's really the, the defining factor here is going to be how Tuka feels. Tuka's is going to be the one to be able to say in 10 or 12 games, if oh, I just haven't been great, you know what I mean? Like, of course your pride is going to say that I can get back to this. Yeah. I can be my best, but you know, when you're not going. And, and it'll be interesting for me to see how that plays out. Like, is he going to play, you know, next year or further? Who knows? Like it's, yeah there's a lot in the air there cuz he only wants to be a bruin but they were smart to protect themselves in getting olmark i was surprised at that contract but he's a good goalie and he's been able to stay pretty healthy this year so far yes. so i think i think boston's obviously in a good spot here but it's really going to be if tuca brings it in these next 10 or 12 games i think
2: yeah yeah i think yeah i think i'm he's such you know and you know this from the the wild swings in Boston, in that marketplace, you know, loving Tuca, hating Tuca, all that kind of stuff. And I I got, I I got all kinds of time for him, such an honest man. And I, I hope it works out. And, you know, I, that, that team again, come playoff time. And, you know, it's my guess is they're going to settle into one of the wildcard spots. I don't see them catching any of the top three in the Atlantic. So, but that to me, I just love the idea and whether it's, Toronto, oh, a little history there, or you know, Carolina, some history there. Playoff wise, you know, they're going to be a handful come playoff time. And I think, you know, again, I, I love the idea that Tuka Rask is game one starter because I just think that changes the whole identity for that Bruins team. But it we'll does. see how it goes. I mean, yeah. if it's not there, it's not there. So. Yeah. Um, so here's, I, I always love to read your weekly musings and I was going through them. I, first of all, I want to ask you, and I was, I'll sound like Eddie Haskell again, a reference <laughs> that few will get, but no, I get it. I get I really, it. Yeah, no, i will yeah. leave it to beaver, but that's it. I've I really enjoyed it. You know, how you've approached when you've written things. And I wonder what that process is like for you. I remember asking yeah. Elliot Friedman the same thing, right? Because he's a TV guy, but you know, his 32 thoughts, um, column for years now has been must read for the hockey community. I remember talking to him about that process of, you know, become, you know, going from a broadcast mind and you come from a broadcast and playing mind to -hmm. actually sitting down writing. Is it fun? Do you like it?
1: The writing aspect to me is a lot of ways work where I sit down and I go, okay, it's time to work. Just sit down, do this, get it done. But what I enjoy about it most is when I can just freely speak through my hands. Yeah. I can just write what I want. You know, when I'm doing a deep dive on analysis and trying to find clips to support theorems and really explain things, like that's, you, you, put, you put a lot of effort into that. And it, but that the thing is, when you finish those pieces, it's really rewarding because a lot of times people will read those and be like, man, I never saw that. I learned something from this. That's the biggest gratification I can get from those. Yeah. But when it's me just speaking and just going through my fingers, yeah. that's a lot of fun. Cause I can kind of get into my own head. I'm an only child. So I just talk to myself and that's what <laughs> I do. And, and yeah, there is a little bit of the Elliot Friedman, 32 thoughts and what I do like his, his are typically very quick hits on things. And I like to take three or four and expand on them, you know, and, and really lay out there what I'm thinking I just, I, I really enjoy having my voice out there on a national scale like this. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's fun to get that feedback on what people are thinking and reading with what I've said, because, you know, Scott, there is some influence in what you write. A lot of times, you know, people, it gets people thinking and tell you what, man, like your voice as a player is actually pretty muted a lot. You know, you only get little sound bites here and there. And if, if a journalist or reporter or media member comes up to you and you only get two minutes to kind of talk, you, it just doesn't get out there. I can do whatever I want right now. I can say what I want for better or worse. You know, it's out there. (laughs) I love that. And that's man, my teammates all the time, you know, when I was playing, like, they knew I had pretty strong opinions, but you just, you got to, stay within the context of your of the game itself, you know. So, it's been a transition that way, but for somebody who only took one or two journalism courses, there are little things I remember from it that I still use. But I'll tell you what, man, you've been a big help. Frank Ceravoli has been uh, nice. and Dan Moraza with with Daily Face off have helped me an awful lot in just cleaning up my writing and making it accessible. Yeah. Short sentences. Nice. Periods. Yeah you know, like paragraphs, like make it, make it pop, you know, because <laughs> it used to be one long run on sentence, just like I'm talking right now.
2: <laughs> that's how my questions are, as you know, just one giant, yeah. long, long run on sentence. but your copy is, is very clean. I will say that. That's always, I always uh, took that as a great, uh, you know, sort of certain amount of pride. If someone said, Oh yeah, you no, know, your copy's really clean. So, yep, you know, yours is appreciated. But so one of the things that you wrote about this week and I, and I, I, I really it's interesting because when we think of the Hart trophy and we we've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about it in the past, of, you know, sort of, you know, with it Ovi's and with the oiler woes, even though they're coming off a big win uh, in Vancouver, well, a- overtime win for the uh, oilers there, hard to imagine McDavid and Dre's Idol or Dre's Idol really being a factor at this point could change. But uh, I, I love that you mentioned Jonathan Huberdeau and, I just think that Florida team, man, and they've gone through a stretch, <laughs> they can they have the potential to light it up at any moment. But really, and as Barkov's, you know, Barkov's the guy. You know, he's sort of the engine, I suppose. But in some ways, Huberdo's, he's like the high test gas, I think. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if it, if it's his presence on that team, and they're gonna finish to my mind, top five team probably in the NHL. I wonder if it'll be enough for voters to say he, you know, is, is he the guy or will it be sort of split votes? Like we've seen with Dre's Idle and McDavid, but I'm glad you mentioned Huberto because I think in some ways he's been a bit under the radar and he is dynamite. Especially
1: I I thought so because of how hot he's been lately, you know, I mean, he's two points a game now for the last dozen or so is what he's averaging. And that's, that's not sustainable usually, but when you're coming on that strong and you still have half of a season left, that's when you start to wonder is this the guy that could actually grab hold of this or this this race for the heart trophy, you know, as MVP of the league. I think it's realistic. And i like you said, Barkov has always been viewed as the guy in Florida. But I mean, I played with them there and Huberto's damn good player. Yep. And he was good when I was there, and this was fourteen fifteen that type of time frame fifteen sixteen. But man, the last couple of years his game has just taken off like it's really it was his you know, sixth seventh year in the n h l that it just hit another level, and that's pretty rare, usually by the third or fourth year you you are what you are he's found ways to keep going, and he's just so dynamic, you know if you want to pattern your game after somebody. He can do it all, he can skate, he can shoot, he can he's heads up, he can make plays, he's nimble, like it's everything. It's a total package, yeah, a- and you know I think if you look towards like Colorado, for instance, right Nazan Kadri's fifth in scoring, and you got kale McCarr who's he can score goals whenever he wants on the back end, and then you have Nathan McKinnon, and like there's so much star power in Colorado that how can you pick an MVP from that group versus yeah. Florida, where you know it's Barkov or Huberto, and right now Huberto's been their best player, yeah, it's driven by Barkov but Huberto's finishing. And I mean, he's a point off the he's the yeah. point off the top of the standings right now on the points yeah. race. Like, and Florida's good. Like they're going to keep going. Like Edmonton's no lock for playoffs. You can't give a guy that didn't make playoffs an MVP award. So no,
2: that's not happening.
1: No, it's not. So, I mean, I just think it's fascinating how we go throughout these throughout the year and it just it always varies right We've gone from Mcdavid as a shoe in to Ovi's leading it to now Huberto maybe he's in the mix like I think it's going to be really interesting by the end of the year Scott yeah. i I love this race
2: so let me ask you this you know I was been reading about a guy he's named Sidney Crosby perhaps you've heard of him, but Mate, and, yeah I think so and I so and it, it's interesting because and I think it's fair to do this. You know, we, we talk about Ovi, who's still having a great year, still definitely heart worthy in terms of mm-hmm. discussion. Caps have sprung a bit of a leak, right? Falling out of the top three, they're in that wild card. You know, Boston, they could, Washington could end up as the second wild card team. Um, they just, you know, things they they're in a bit of a they're a drift right now. Mm-hmm. I tell you, Crosby, and I uh, was doing this here since November twenty sixth and through last night when he had three points as they came back and crushed Arizona. He has 32 points in 23 games. And, you know, like, and this is always what Crosby does. So he plays both ends. He's, he, you know, he, he's a machine in many ways. And I wonder, you know, it may, you know, he won't, he's not going to challenge to win the scoring title. I mean, I should look, I I don't think he's in the top 10, but anyway, yeah, he's not. So he's not going to win a scoring title which is fine with me when it comes to the heart. But I wonder if his play over the second half, if he keeps this up, he's going to be, he may end up in the top end, top 10, but such a dynamic, um, you know, presence, obviously. And I just wonder if if that will, if he he sort of creeps into that discussion, if the Penguins continue to play this way, they are right now, of course, challenging the Rangers and Carolina for top spot in the Metro Mm -hmm. and one of the top teams in the NHL. I don't know. What do you make it?
1: Well, I—I I mean, there's no denying what Crosby's done this season, especially since coming back. I just—he's missed so much time. You know, he's played ten. He's going to end up playing ten less games, twelve less yeah. games than everybody else in the league, and that's going to hurt him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, he's still slinging pucks between his legs on like <laughs> and dominating games. Like, it's amazing that we almost forget how good he is because yeah. he's done it for so long. And I—I th- I think for. Looking at Crosby for an MVP, it's it's an internal MVP. Everybody knows it. You know, I don't think he's going to get the accolades for it, but you know, he's he's somebody that I think at times at this stage of his career almost be taken for granted. You know, you forget that this guy's still an absolute premier player in the league. Yeah. Uh, now Pittsburgh's did they did well without him, but now they've really kicked it into gear once they have him again. And um, I just always have to wonder how how long can he play, <laughs> you know, like, but th- the one thing that I will say, like he doesn't, he doesn't kill penalties though. Yeah. And and that's one thing that to me is always kind of stuck in my craw bit because I thought, you know, he should probably be somebody who kills penalties. He plays hard. He takes smarts route. He do- takes smart routes. He does all that. Um, and he doesn't. So I don't know. I, I, and I wonder that at McDavid's always, it's struck me as well, right? This is a guy that doesn't, he doesn't kill penalties either. Drys idle kills penalties. Yeah. You know, others in the league do. So I don't know. I, I I think that it doesn't get enough love in that respect. And I'm trying to find any way I can to bring Sidney Crosby off his pedestal, (laughs) (laughs) which, which he doesn't deserve at all. The guy's, you know, legitimately one of the top five players, players to ever play the game. If you ask me. So I love, I love it. I'm rooting for him to, I'm rooting for Pittsburgh, honestly, this year. I think they've been through a lot and I'd like to see them, have another good run this time.
2: God, I, I'm all for, and I've covered, I didn't, I didn't cover the last one because I was out West. So that would be 2018, the Caps here, but I've covered all the Caps, Penguins playoff clashes. I, one more, one, we're probably, you know, what are we looking at? Maybe one more. This, I mm-hmm. think that would be outstanding. I I'm, Oh, yeah. I want to, I want that, and then I, I want Frank to let me cover it. That's what I want. I'll do that <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, there's a little dive bar there. I think you like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I believe so. I see. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, think about other people right now around the league that are just killing it, like Chris Kreider, really, yeah. like 30 goals lead the league. Like, I mean. He doesn't do anything crazy. He goes to the front of the net and he buries it, <laughs> yeah. and like, and he's got a nice skill set though. Again, like this is a player who really fits in today's game. He skates like the wind, and that's half of why he's successful. He gets to the front of the net in a big hurry. Yeah, but man, he's got some magic teammates with him, and this yeah. isn't taking anything away from Kreider because goal scorers have to have people to get them the puck.
2: Yeah.
1: But man, when you got. Adam Fox filtering that thing and Zabana, Jad and Panera and like some of the guys with the biggest field of vision in hockey. Yeah. You know, especially on the power play, boy, Kreider just doesn't miss man. He's always in the right spot. Those little low to high plays, quick hands and tight. Like I, I kind of think about John, Jonathan Chichu's, 56 goal season yes. in 05-6, where he led the league and then it just kind of went down from there. Yeah. No, <laughs> but almost- I don't, I don't see that with Kreider. I don't, I mean, he may, he may score 50 this year. Yeah. Easy. He's at 30 already. I think he's probably realistically more like a 35, 40 is what you could expect, but man, like pretty magical year, Sky. And I, I think like this Rangers team, they may not win this year, but they're yeah. going to give somebody some nightmares in playoffs. I think.
2: Yeah, it's fun to watch them play, and it and it was interesting because when we before we knew that the NHL wasn't going to the Olympics, I, you know, I think there would have been if if I went back, I'd have to look and, you know, would you have had Chris Kreider as a shoe in on your U.S. Olympic team? I'm I'm not sure you I'm not sure you would have, and of course right. now and you know in hindsight, if you were if you were building a U.S. Olympic team right now of course he's there. Yeah, no question. Goes, goes the right. Was
1: he even on the long list? We don't know. Troy Terry wasn't on the long list. Yeah, that's
2: <laughs> exactly. I have to, he would have been on the long list, but he, you know, he's just one of the, you know, I, I think to your point, he's really just taken, you know, taken advantage and what a great, you know, what a great moment for him guys worked hard at it and he's, you know, he's not a young man anymore. He's really part of great. that leadership group and really an important, I think, for those young players. And, and I know Papo Caco's out uh, with an injury for a period of time, but, you know, Alexi Lafreniere and um, you know, the, the, it's a, it's a young team. And now Chris Kreider is, he's part of that leadership core, yep. you know? So I'm, yeah. And I'm with you. I, I love to watch that. And I love to, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out and, you know, what, what does the matchup look like? Mm-hmm. You know, whoever they play in the playoffs, I, it's going to be a lot to ask that team against, you know, whoever they play is going to be more experienced and have a lot more playoff teeth. I'm not sure it'll matter, but it's, it's going to be fun to watch. So well, Imagine if they pull off this uh,
1: rumored deal for JT Miller, we just keep hearing about it endlessly. And I don't even know if Miller gets moved. Honestly, that's a big asset for Vancouver and Jim Rutherford, but man, that cap hit, he might be a pretty good fit there. I thought he'd be a good hit and fit in Boston as well, but. I don't know, man. Trade deadline is I, I wonder who it'll be this year, Scott, because it's it, i always think that it's the it's the depth players that win you Stanley Cups when it's deadline moves. Yeah. It's very rarely the big shiny object at the deadline, the game changing player. yeah, Just doesn't work very often. It's usually your Barkley Goudreau's and Blake Coleman's going to Tampa Bay and, and providing Zach, that depth. Zach there. the Goshen or Zach Bagosh. Take your pick, you know? Yeah. That's where I, I, Colorado's a team. I'd like to see a little bit more of that a little more grittiness there, you yeah.
2: know, yeah. <laughs> I, you, I know we're still two months away, but you've yeah. been in, so you've been in the locker room. Do, do players like, it's, it's a huge deal for us in the media, right? Like we mm-hmm. talk about it all the time. Right. I mean, and, and I think, it, and it's, it's fun. I am with you. I think sometimes we over analyze all these kinds of things and we, you know, and you're right. The big names sometimes, you know, I, you know, I think of Taylor Hall, Okay, you know, it was a good fit, but not a great fit in Boston. And, you know, anyway, you're right. It is sometimes the complimentary player that gets added that ultimately makes the most difference. But as players, do players talk about it too? Like, are you sitting in, you know, in the room? Are they thinking, oh, you know, I think I, you know, it looks like Vancouver may dump or when is San Jose going to sell off or or, the Rangers, are they in it to win it? Will they be buying? Like, Does it happen that way?
1: Oh, yeah. There's whispers all the time. I mean, guys aren't immune to seeing things in media and the talks. And it is funny from this side, because now I have to be kind of judicious with my words and thinking that if I even posit a move or a trade, it can suddenly turn into a rumor real quickly. You know, I mean, like I said this week that I thought Anton Forsberg would be a great fit for the Oilers at a really cheap cap hit because they can't do any worse, honestly. And I mean this I I mean, it's with all due all due respect to Miko Koskinen, like that guy has to get out of, out of Edmonton. If he's going to keep his career going, he's got to get out of there.
2: Yeah. So,
1: like, if they're going to have to make a move, there's a guy I think fits really well. Well, I have no inside knowledge of if that's even been explored, right? But this can turn into a rumor really quickly, yeah. and so I'm I'm kind of always wary of it. But um, yeah, man, hockey's. I'm not sure players you know, we don't, players are more naive than people think. Like they, they just see the same things and they're thinking, well, oh, I heard this, I heard this. And it's not usually by word of mouth because management never tells us anything like that <laughs> ever. <laughs> so, you know, we're living by a wing and a prayer the same way, just thinking like, Oh, oh I'm a dead man walking. I'm going to get traded. I know it. Like there are those moments where players, you can just sense it. Like they just know it. And I've heard teammates say it. Oh, I'm probably going to get traded anyway. Like it's real. And you know, for those guys, it's actually kind of nice. Like you can be a little bit ready for it if you feel it's coming. It's when you get blindsided by something that that's a big shock to your system where you don't expect it at all.
2: Yeah, it's I, I again. I I I've done enough stories on it, and where you you're excited as part of the media and as fan the whole deadline thing and the trades that happen. And it's, it is exciting because I think it, you know, in some ways teams, they, they send a message, right. They send a Mm -hmm. message, you know, a a GM, you know, whatever, whatever team it is. And you make an addition, what you're saying is I believe in you guys and we're going to commit these assets and we're going to bring in this player. And we think he'll help take us another step. And that's, I, I would think that would be a powerful thing in the locker room, but it also often means that somebody leaves and I, I, if I told this story, who cares? I'm going to tell it again. But I remember talking to Marty Turco in Dallas after they acquired Brad Richards from Tampa. And, you know, again, it was, you know, the excitement. Here's my story. And Marty Turco was like, sit down. He's like, you know what? My best friend and my little brother, Mike Smith, Edmonton Oilers NetMinder, went in that deal. And he said, you know what? And I think uh, I can't remember who else went in that deal might've been UC Oakland. doesn't matter. There yeah. were two or three players that went in that deal. And he said, there's a hole in this locker room where those guys used to be. And as much as we love Brad Richards and we're excited to have that player, let's not forget that there were relationships here. And, and, and I'm a bit sad today. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm so mm-hmm. glad I had this conversation because it's easy just to think of in terms of chess pieces. So, yeah,
1: it's kind of like in Shawshank redemption where he's, I just miss my friend. I think it's Morgan Freeman's character. Yes. Or it's either Andy or Morgan Freeman's character. Yeah, I think it's no, Morgan it's Freeman's Morgan Freeman. character because he's kind of the narrator of the whole thing. Yeah. He says, I just miss my friend. And that's, you do, you're still friends with these players that get traded and moved on, but man, like you spend some special time with them, yeah. you know, and thankfully today it's easier never to stay in touch. But, you know, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine, Andrew Campbell, played some games with the Leafs, with Arizona, I uh, was a captain in the American league for a long time. And now he's coaching in the OHL and, and we just kind of reminisce sometimes like that. And it's fun to to talk about the players that are still going and looking at like the Canadian Olympic team and going, geez, like wish we were still playing, you know, <laughs> like there's, <laughs> it's kind of like an American hockey league, all-star team in some ways. And um, you, you still have that bond, but you just miss going to the rink every day, man. Like you're so close to these individuals yeah. for seven months. Yeah. And then you flip a switch, you go home and, you may never see him again. Yeah. It's it's just a weird lifestyle,
2: man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're getting towards the end. Before we get there, I know you and I were talking yesterday. You were about to make dinner at home. Mm-hmm. But I know that uh, sometimes if you don't have the energy or if you're busy, that uh, the DoorDash is your go-to. And as always during this podcast, we like to acknowledge that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. Curious, what did you make? What was on the menu at the McKenna House last night that you, I know you were chefing it up?
1: I was. And you know what? Two days ago, DoorDash came to the rescue because I screwed up. I didn't realize that the manila clams that I bought from the Pan-Asia Superstore down the road needed a solid hour of prep before you can cook these things. You got to clean them, rinse them, scrub them. Wow. And, uh, and, and it's easy. Like you put them in water for 20, drain them, put them in another water for 20, drain them. And then you scrub them, whatever. But I didn't have time. So I went, I'm sorry, everybody. I screwed this one up. We're door dashing it. So <laughs> we did that. We took care of dinner, but yeah, I made some, uh, I made some clams last night with some ramen noodles, made a broth for it. I'd never done that before. made clams and it was fun. The broth yeah. was a little weird, but I had a good time. And you know what, Scott, it looked pretty. That's all that matters. <laughs> Put some fresh herbs on things. You can fool anybody.
2: Uh, good stuff. Uh, all right. We'll get to towards the end. I was thinking of you this morning, as soon as I was watching that highlight of Aaron Dell, really sort of suckering Drake Batherson from the Senator, send him into the boards. So I saw Bruce Gary, who's covered the sense for a hundred years. Um, quoting sources saying that he'll be out long-term. It looks like a high ankle sprain and just, I feel bad for the kid. He's such a good player and the Sens just, you know, looking like they might get a little bit of a, you know, traction and whatever it is, but I, I didn't like it. And I, I thought it was a rather unfortunate incident involving the Buffalo Sabres netminder Aaron Dell. It's a bad play. It's yes. not
1: good. I mean, you you have to look at this through the goaltender's eyes that, you know, you're not allowed to be hit, yeah. but by the rules, you still can hit as a yeah. goalie, which is crazy because there's so few instances in a game where you could actually lay a hit as a goalie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's at that stage that there doesn't really even need to be a rule because there's not a reason for us to hit, but you do see it happen.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I actually think, Scott, that it might be a good idea for the NHL to just include that in the rules. Goalies can't, they're not fair game. They can't be hit and they cannot make a hit yeah. because it would help these types of situations because Aaron Dell clearly thinks I can hit or I can at least get in the way like, but Batherson doesn't even have the puck, man. Yeah. Like Batherson's just trying to cut the net, and I heard Dell say, "I'm just trying to buy my decent time." Well, no, man, you chicken winged a dude in a seriously vulnerable position, and now he's out long term. Yeah, and you you stuck him in the boards in a really bad way, and you're frustrated. You've already allowed four or five goals in a game. Your season's yes. going terrible. Like, and he's done this before. He buried Mark Stone last year in a kind of a similar way. He played a hit in Nashville, which. The hit in Nashville recently was actually would have been a good hit. If he had stayed on his skates, he'd left his skates. You can't even do that. Like that's an illegal hit. Like, yeah. like part of me is thinking like, dude, did you ever take checking classes? Like, but I just, I don't like it at all, man. Like it's one thing for a goalie after you go out to play the puck to stand there like a pylon yeah. or at least take a route back to your net and buy your D some time. Yeah. You have a right to ice on. You have a right to the ice. You have yeah. a right to your space. But you don't have a right to stick your shoulder, or your elbow out or purposely make contact with somebody. Yeah. Like if there's incidental contact whatever, it can happen and bullies have to protect themselves if they see it coming, but yeah. that was just a bad play, man. It was I don't like call I don't like name calling things, but that was just stupid, man. Like you you really ran a real strong risk of hurting somebody and you say afterwards, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. Well, if when you do that routinely, you're going to hurt somebody. And you did like in a four or five, nothing game against two teams that are in the, in the cellar. Yeah. Sorry, man. Time, place, all that stuff. He's going to get suspended or at least he should be. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's got a hearing. So yeah. And then, and I'm with you and I, and I think there is a, Listen i I know some people immediately respond, well, if they 're going to do that, then it should be open so, you know if the goalie's going to play the puck, then hit him I, like to me, come no. on, like that's ridiculous, but to your point you, you you enjoy a certain protectiveness under the rules as it should be when you do that then then you should pay you should pay a heavy price because you, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking advantage of that so
1: I agree, yeah, I mean you're seeing a gray area basically in the rules and thinking I can kind of take it can. I can massage this a little bit and, and you know what we do? I mean, we the goalies will occasionally stick a hip out a little bit or interfere a little bit or a little rub on the boards. And, yeah. and, and to me, it's almost kind of like women's hockey. They're not allowed to body check, yeah, but damn sure they rub on each other. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they, that is not an women's hockey is a physical game. Yeah. You know, there's not the open ice, clean body checking hits, but that's kind of the same space that a goalie lives in. Like you are kind of allowed to lean and rub a little, but I I think that it just, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have the rule in place. goalies, you can't hit. If if you're protected, you can't go the other way with that. And I could easily live with that. I'd have no problem with it.
2: Yeah. All right. Got anything else? Last word. I give you the floor before we wrap this up today.
1: Well, I just think, man, we're headed to Vegas and after Vegas and after the all-star break, Testing rules change for the NHL. Players, two thirds of the leagues had COVID, according to our own daily face off tally, uh, has been in protocol this year. It's going to be smooth sailing here, Scott. Oh, like, man. It should be. Like, Isn't these, like
2: talking about a shutout? I,
1: like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. Like, it, this is
2: just right. fun.
1: And, and I'm, boy, I hope I'm not being too Pollyanna and things don't go bananas with like a new, like, a new alpha lettered variant that we don't even know about or something, but yeah. I'm excited for that. I'm really excited to see you in Vegas. I'm excited to see, frankly, I'm excited to see people that I met while I was in Vegas working there too. It's just, it's going to be a fun reunion on a personal level like that. And I know for us, especially at daily face-off, yep. we've got some good stuff coming to look forward yeah, to, don't fun.
2: we? It is. All right, my friend. Well, next time I see you, it'll be in person. I look forward to it. And um, as always, Terrific to catch up and can't wait for next week and be safe. Same to you. Travel safe. Get that KN95 on and I'll see you in
1: Vegas.
2: I'll see you there.
1: Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?